0: Good evening, everyone. My name is Simon Barrett, and this is another edition of Journey into Justice with Bellow and Barrett. As always, I'm joined by my very good friend, attorney and author, Mark Bellow. Mark, welcome to the program.
1: Good evening, Simon. Nice to be with you again.
0: All right um, we we've got lots to talk about this week and um, i mean i i I know for you it's probably boring to uh you know go over uh you know our roads that we we explored earlier but still um, still? as the non attorney uh, of the pair, I, I really want to last. Uh, I want to revisit last week's absolutely fascinating uh, discussion on the uh, opioid crisis and right. uh, what happened in Ohio. So happy to do. Um, it. Not Ohio, Oklahoma. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Oklahoma. I do apologize. <laughs> um, okay. No problem. So, that's, that's what I'm here for, um, to, to get the facts of the yard right. to the people. You know, as I'm uh, a Brit uh, extraction, I'm going to put on my, um, you know, ceremonial wig and ask you a couple of questions. Okay. Mr. Bellow. Um, I'm not. I'm not sure how I'm
1: trying to answer them.
0: Okay, Mr. Bellow, are uh, opioids are made by man?
1: Well, yes. Uh, there are opiates that are that are um, that are plant-based, but <laughs> the formula that's being criticized is is um a man-made compound. as i
0: understand, okay mr Bellow, our uh, guest last week um gave us a a, a very depressing um uh, number i i think it was someone dies from uh opioids every 15 minutes um, th- this bothers me a great deal so as a my, my real question is why isn't this a criminal case because there, we, we've we've got death <laughs> uh, why, why Why aren't uh, there criminal charges against someone?
1: Well, Simon, as as you and I always do, we talk for 10, 15 minutes and email each other before we go on the air. And it's interesting that you ask that question because it ties into, if you think about it, all of the things that I told you I wanted to talk about tonight. The cynical answer to your question, and I think the uh, American answer to your question, is that these kinds of things, these kinds of crimes, to use your term and your question, often go unpunished, if they're committed in the context of corporate malfeasance and misfeasance. If a CEO of a corporation commits a crime running his business, he often goes unpunished in the criminal courts. He gets a huge fine like J&J did. He pays a huge penalty, in a settlement like Purdue did, but the actual perpetrators of the crime, the CEOs and the underlings who made decisions that cost the company their reputation and huge dollars,
0: very often,
1: almost always go unpunished. But I agree with you. Uh, uh, There's no reason why this shouldn't be a criminal action and hopefully attorney generals around the country will agree with you and pursue some of these people if because I don't want to prejudge anybody you're innocent until proven guilty in this country if they have criminal exposure for what they
0: did (laughs) this is interesting because um in a in an earlier life um i, I ran a, a series of programs um about um the mob ex mobsters all mm-hmm. the ones that all, all the ones i interviewed um, were uh Reformed characters Shall we say Right. They were e- either in Or still in the um, a Witness Protection program right. or, uh, right. or Or a t- opted To leave it um,
1: <laughs> Well if you're, put, but, if you're put in the witness protection Program Someone else Has been squealed on And that person is going to jail typically. Now right. that person is, is that person is also innocent until proven guilty and that person could be found innocent by a jury if the prosecutors can't prove him guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. That's a high standard, as it should be. People don't lose their freedom for nothing. Um, so the standard is appropriately rigid and not always achievable, but if someone squeals on somebody for a lesser sentence or a, or a witness protection as you say, someone else typically is going to get the rap um, in this case though if you if you look at the mob your your mob correlation uh, think about um, Al Capone. What the all the bad things he did, murders and and bribery and racketeering and all the all the RICO stuff he did, what the feds got him on was tax evasion. He didn't report his illegal income on his tax return. Right. So it's it's very difficult to get these guys. And in in the corporate setting, in the opioid case, uh, I think what is necessary is to prove that someone did something deliberately, conspired to do it, um, so that he could make money, so that his company could make money. If they prove that, then it, it could be as bad as um, a, a murder charge. Assuming, assuming that J.R. Whaley's statement last week—and I have no reason to doubt him—he's an expert in this field—is true.
0: Right. Um, and so, you know, why why did, why aren't there RICO charges against these drug companies?
1: I think think we're still in the infancy stages of this crisis, and I think you're going to see a lot more Oklahomas and a lot more litigation and perhaps some level of criminality against these uh, corporate executives. Having said that, and this is the point I want to make, because like I said earlier, it plays right into what we want to discuss tonight, Having said that, typically, the leaders of corporate America are given a pass. You know, we, got, we had a, uh, a session two weeks ago or three weeks ago about Jeffrey Epstein. Look at his history. He's sexually abusing minors for a, a long period of time, and his only conviction was this 2008 uh, minor molestation conviction that he got probation for, or something like that? Or maybe, did he serve a year? I don't remember. But whatever, whatever it was, he he served either no time or very little time, and then went back out, ran his corporation, made his millions, and did it all over again. And everybody turned the other way. Now did, did guys he like him. Up? Guys like him and and Harvey Weinstein recently have gotten their comeuppance. And that's why I think in the opioid situation, maybe we're finally at a period of time in this country where guys like that have justice visited upon them.
0: Right. Um, Actually, today uh, I I heard that – Jeffrey uh, Epstein um, had uh, tried to exonerate himself, much like a a Catholic priest, by um, mm-hmm. donating uh, heavily to uh, MIT. Did Did you uh, come across that story?
1: Well, yes, but I, I I don't know that that had anything to do with.
0: Um... You know, a, a come to God
1: moment for him. I think it had to do with him uh, liking MIT, uh, liking the people who graduate from MIT, and wanting to make MIT graduates clients of his. Right. Uh, and oh, at least yeah. that's, I, that's kind of what I—that's what I think. I don't think it had anything to do with um, some kind of come to Jesus moment for
0: him. Oh no! Absolutely not. No, I didn't mean to uh, give that impression. It it was, you know, Epstein. You know, um, thought, wow, this would be great. That this makes me look really cool. You
1: know, well, you know, you know, you
0: mentioned the you mentioned the mob,
1: Simon, and and I mean, think about the Godfather movies. Think about the um and I, I you know again i don't know i don't know much about the mobs uh in fact I, I would probably suggest to you that my knowledge of the mob as you call it is limited to the godfather movies but <laughs> here are these here are these bad guys who murder or mur- who murder people and threaten people and Uh, bribe and extort and do all kinds of bad things and then a baby is born and the most important thing to them is the church doing the proper christening there's a huge hypocrisy about criminals and their relationship to religion and God it's kind of strange yeah so when you look, when you look at Epstein making contributions, even if you look at it in the context that you did, which is he did it, uh, to cleanse himself or something like that. (laughs) Um, if that's true, what a joke, right? I mean, it's almost like the mob and, and, uh, and this kid. Remember the scene where, uh, where uh, somebody has a baby and 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 as they're as they're throwing holy water on the child, people are being murdered in in many all all the enemies are getting murdered. Remember that? <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> it's a great. Okay. It's a great scene. Right. <laughs> well, let's um, well, let's move on. Um. Let's talk a little bit about the college admission scandal. Um, Actress Felicity Hoffman um, uh, submitted a letter to the court today uh, explaining that um, uh, her daughter was um, subpar, I think that's the word, you know, in, in the academic uh, arena, and all she was trying to do was give her daughter a, a, a bit of a, a leg up in the world. Um, did, do you think the uh, judge is going to buy that?
1: Well, uh, I this afternoon, as... Uh, Coincidentally, not not completely coincidentally, I, I, I published the op-ed to a degree because I knew we were going to be talking about this uh, tonight. But uh, I wrote an op-ed in the Legal Examiner, and I pointed out the differences between the application of law and the sentencing guidelines for less fortunate people vis-a-vis wealthy people. And this Felicity Blue scandal, and uh, uh, which, if anybody out there doesn't know, it's a situation involving Felicity Huffman and, and many others. Um, and if those of you who don't know Felicity Huffman, she was one of the actresses in *Desperate Housewives* years ago. But um, the scandal is is um, one where wealthy and famous people. Bribe school officials to either um, get their kid into college, uh, as Lori Laughlin, who, uh, who used to be in um, uh, Full House, I think it's called, um, uh, is accused of, or get their test scores changed or increased, as Felicity Huffman got accused of and pleaded guilty to. So she apparently did it. Um, uh, she's one of the defendants in the case. She gave uh, some guy $15,000 to have her daughter's SAT exam answers uh, uh, artificially boosted. How do you do that? I have no idea. But uh, to your point, a bunch of people have come forward and Um, issued letters of support vouching for her character. If she had gone to trial and been convicted, she could have served several years, uh, but she pled guilty, and the feds recommended that she serve four months. Now, that may sound lenient to people. Uh, It also includes 12 months of supervised release, and a $20,000 fine, which is two cents to you and me. Um, and for some reason, now, because of her contrition, I guess, I don't know, but uh, she's now, they're now recommending a month, not four months, and she's supposed to serve at the end of this week. Um, I actually wrote down a quote. I want you to hear what she said in uh, her letter of contrition. Quote, let me be very clear. I know there's no justification for what I've done. There is a bigger picture. But ultimately, it doesn't matter because I could have said no to cheating on SAT scores. I unequivocally, unequivocally take responsibility for my actions and will respectfully accept whatever punishment the court deems appropriate. Uh, that's a strong statement. Uh, she, she admits what she did and then takes responsibility and, and says so she accepts her punishment. Having said that, her behavior is not um, in accordance with her statement. She's going around soliciting, Letters from people, uh, prominent people, asking for leniency. And the interesting thing is that the Justice Department speaks out of both sides of them, too. They're, they're on the one hand, saying, let's give her four months, and then they knocked it down to a month. And on the other hand, they're accusing her of a sense of entitlement. And uh, one of them used the words... Moral cluelessness. (laughs) She's morally clueless. But yet they are willing to give her a month in prison. Why? Because of who she is? Because she's got the money? Because they're getting 20 grand from her? You can buy your way into a lighter sentence? Now, you cut me off whenever you want. I don't want to Monopolize the conversation, but what, what's bothering me about this? Because I really don't care, and, and I want everybody listening to know I don't care whether she goes to prison or not. Uh, I, I certainly think that she's been shamed and ridiculed, and this is look. This has probably cost her her career, or uh, um, at least as big career as she otherwise would have had. So I don't think prison is going to make much difference for her. But when you compare this to somebody who doesn't have the fame or the means that she does, um, it starts to really piss me off. And...
0: <laughs> I, I am in total agreement, <laughs> and, and you. Know, this, this sets up for a, another program, and I have just the guests to um, to join us. On um, cash bail would be the uh, subject. <laughs> any any thoughts on cash bail? Um, you're, you're asking me
1: about uh, I, you know when you said I had just the guest I thought you were talking about a real
0: person um, oh as, they are most definitely real <laughs> you're talking about
1: posting bond yes okay I wanted to make sure we were communicating um,
0: yeah
1: I, I don't you know I I agree with you. Um, Again, that's an issue that uh, creates a a manifest um, injustice when one compares uh, a person of little means to a person of Substantial means. Bail, the concept of bond, while I get it, I understand it, and I I, to some degree support it, I don't know how else you compel a person to appear other than make it cost him dearly. But if you look at the practicalities of it, it causes the poor person to stay in prison or jail, and it allows the rich person to walk around free until his trial comes up. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, Obviously, what's wrong with it is that the two aren't being treated equally. But the other thing that's wrong with it, if you think about our justice system, is that we're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. So why is somebody sitting in prison before he's been found guilty? Now, that's a, uh, a philosophical legal question. The answer to that question is: if you've got a significant amount of evidence that somebody murdered somebody, and you're and he's likely to be convicted, you don't want him running around and possibly committing more mayhem. So I get why he's in prison and perhaps innocent until proven guilty in this country is a myth but what really grinds me is that the rich walk around free until their trial and the poor sit in prison and as bad as that is one of the other pieces of news that is running around the country right now is a series being done by NBC news called justice for all. And in their report, uh, one of the subjects of that report is, uh, what's known not by very many, by the way, uh, What's known as the First Step Act, and what I yes, want you to do is tell me if you know about that act,
0: and if you yeah, do or if you don't. Yeah, in ask fact, me what, I, what I believe, I, I believe that um, uh, a, a guy from CNN who uh, I, I actually think quite a lot of Van Jones. Um Correct. was involved in uh crafting that act. I, I oh, don't know who he crafted it. I know, I know, he's, Trump I know he's part of it. he's
1: part of an organization. I think it's called Cut Fifty. Are you in front of a computer?
0: Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> of course. Google uh, Google uh,
1: cut hashtag cut fifty and see what you come up with. But but um Uh, What this is about is years ago, starting in the 80s, with Ronald Reagan and his wife and the Just Say No campaign and the Biden crime bill followed with the Clinton administration and this tough on drugs mentality that existed back in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Some laws were passed, some very draconian laws were passed, that sent first-time offenders who were selling, you know, an ounce of pot, Uh, maybe that's an exaggeration, but cocaine, let's say, on a street corner, because their grandmother needed medicine, these guys got caught selling drugs, and under these laws, first-time offenders a small quantity, got put in jail for a term of 25, 30 years, even life in prison, and to this day, even though those laws no longer exist, they've been repealed, these people still sit in prison. And here we are discussing whether a wealthy actress,
0: where, where
1: might serve a month in prison. Compare those two.
0: Right. Um, This sounds an awful lot like the uh, three strikes law. Um, Well, that's that's
1: certainly one example.
0: That's one example. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, three strikes... uh, I think the silliest story I heard was um, the guy committed some minor drug offense. Uh, Strike two was a minor drug offense, and strike three was stealing a pizza. And, uh, oh, that's 20 years to life for you.
1: (laughs) Did you see that? that, Did you see that? Uh, there was a a clip of uh, of a judge in in Alabama releasing some guy that uh, that robbed a store of a few bucks, I want to say fifty bucks or less. But there was right. a zero tolerance law in Alabama, and thirty years later, the ju- a, a judge was petitioned and finally said, basically, enough is enough. And he, let him, and he set him free. Um, I, I just, the, the difference between those who can afford to pay for a good lawyer, to um, lobby, for lack of a better way to say it, like Huffman is doing. And again, I, I'm not criticizing her. I'm not looking for her to get slammed. I'm simply making a comparison. She's going to be the first parent sentenced under uh, for this scandal, and there are people who who bribe someone to the tune of fifty to a hundred thousand dollars to get their kids into school. What she did was she hired a guy to help get her kids better ACT scores. SAT scores, and the guy said, a year after he started tutoring them, the guy said, I can't seem to improve their scores. I have a better idea. And he put this idea in her head that she could pay to have the scores changed, and only then did she say... How much it will it cost me, and she paid fifteen thousand dollars, not a hundred and fifty, not five hundred thousand, but fifteen thousand one five so she's the first person to be sentenced. it'll set a precedent for others who have probably done worse than she did, and we'll see, but to compare that to. You know, I don't know if you've heard some of these stories, but somebody got got um, arrested for selling drugs to try to raise money for his relative's cancer treatment, uh, grandma's drugs, and I don't mean the illegal drugs, I mean medication, life-saving medication, mm-hmm. um, family support because they have little education. Uh, Poverty is a cycle, and uh, to get out of it takes uh, a lot of luck, a lot of work, and many people can't do it, and they turn to things that might otherwise uh, or that are illegal. Uh, What's the result if you're not rich? More of a cycle of poverty. You get sent to prison for 30 years for life. Um, and that's what this first step act that Dan Jones is involved in, uh, is, um, trying to at least step one, which is why it's called the first step act, by the way, it's not a complete solution, but they're trying to rectify some of this inequity between, uh, how wealthy person is treated in the criminal justice system and how a poor person is treated in the criminal justice system.
0: Do, do you have any idea um, how successful First Step has been? You know, how, how, many, how many people are walking free and uh, breathing her real air?
1: Well last week three thousand inmates got released from prison as a result of this law, um, the First Step Act. Now another interesting point, you're not gonna believe this one. I know you're a you're a political guy. Where do you hear this? This is give me a drum roll. <laughs>
0: I'm not
1: not hearing the All right This is a bipartisan (laughs) bill Let me repeat that This is a bipartisan bill Republicans and Democrats Got together And they passed this first Step Act and guess who Signed the bill into law
0: Uh, I I think I know the answer And uh, you know I'm rolling my eyes. None Not other once. than, uh, than, than <laughs> Trump. <laughs> for,
1: for once, for once, Donald Trump, Republicans in the Senate and House, and Republicans in the, and Democrats rather in the Senate and House, got together and passed some meaningful legislation. Now, you ask me what it does. I'll give you I'll give you some examples. It ensures people um, who are prepared to come home. Um, It it helps prepare them to be job ready and gives them major incentives to pursue classes that will help them uh, succeed on the outside. Um, It also helps the federal prison system Rehabilitate people, which is what should be, if you think about it, the number one goal of incarceration. Some say that should be punishment. My attitude is it should be rehabilitation. Rehab leads to economic opportunity. And if you think about that, if you give a person a leg up and a job, that person is less likely to go back to prison, right? He's less likely to commit a crime, right? So you improve, so you improve public safety, as well as lowering incarceration costs. Now, the other thing yep. it does is it is it fixes good time credits. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how that works, but what goes what's going on is these people these hopelessly imprisoned people are being given more days of credit time than the current system allowed. So if you retroactively apply these earned credits to their prison sentence, it results in them being eligible for release now, which is, I think, what resulted in these 3,000 people being released. They got good credit time, which means they're behaving well. They're behaving so well in prison that they should be out of prison. They get time served, good credit time. They get added good credit time. And that is being applied retroactively thanks to the First Step Act. And that is getting people out of prison early, which is, I think, what's resulting in these 3,000 people. Now what else does that do? When you when you release somebody from prison again you have this public safety argument, uh, but it costs money to incarcerate people. It, so it saves the taxpayer. It, it it saves the taxpayer a crap load of money. You're not incarcerating as many people and the system is is Saving a huge amount of money, so that's another I've,
0: benefit of, uh, of of that uh, new law. I I spent a, a number of years working with the uh, homeless, um, mm-hmm. and that that that's another group that's viewed as. Uh, you know violent uh, you don't want to get anywhere close to them de blah um it's actually quite the opposite um the ones I met were uh harmless folk that um I agree. really just wanted a way out of uh, you know the horrible situation they were in um let's. Let, let's move on. A- actually, let's do some absolutely shameless, and I do mean shameless advertising. Mark, tell us about your books and where people can buy them. Um,
1: my books are legal thrillers, they are available at Amazon. Uh, you can go to my website and check them out, which is Um, www.markmbello.com. The first book uh, is about the uh, sex abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. Uh, It it doesn't label... uh, quote, the church in the book as Catholic, but it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out what I'm talking about. Um, uh, There's a good example, by the way, of many uh, criminals never serving time for their crimes. The Catholic Church has paid an awful lot of money to settle civil cases, but only recently are the predators going to prison uh, or being defrocked. That never happened uh, back in the day. Um, The cases I handled, uh, the priest uh, served six months in prison. That was a very unusual circumstance back in the day. Uh, I plan to have um, in the very near future, a couple of special guests, lawyers I know, who handle these kinds of cases on a regular basis uh, on the program to discuss the difference between uh, how the book portrayed these kinds of events to um, what really happens in in uh, the real world. Um my book, by the way, Betrayal of Faith, was based on an actual case I handled, but it is an embellished version, and it's fiction. And I would I would like the people to hear from lawyers uh, in the trenches about what actually goes on and how the a church today versus yesterday, because yesterday, and when I say yesterday, I mean in the 80s, yesterday it felt like, Uh, And this is what the book depicts. It felt like some clandestine um, CIA-type operation inside the church was pulling strings. There were cover-ups, and uh, we were sent on wild goose chases. Uh, It was a very difficult case to get to the truth because everybody uh, had their hands over their mouths and hid the truth. Uh, and somebody was instructing them to do so. I had cardinals lie to me. I had bishops lie to me. I had priests lie to me. Um, and I proved them to be liars. So uh, that's how it was then. I'd like to hear uh, from people who I know uh, who are doing this kind of work now. My second book, The of Justice, is a book about loosely about the 2016 election um, a president gets elected uh, on a let me back let me back up, me back up and, and rephrase what I just said. It was inspired by the 2016 election. It is not about the 2016 election. Uh, I started to think if if a president got elected and made good on the rhetoric that was used on the campaign trail, what would that look like in terms of how real people are treated and how the government behaves? And in the book, a Muslim ban is instituted Uh, A president is elected on a slogan, make America pure again. And uh, a young Muslim woman gets accused of murder. And her parents, because they raised a murderer, are deported, or at least a, uh, I don't know what it's called, the deportment. (laughs) Uh, A procedure to get them deported is undertaken, um, uh, and the book is is a very interesting study in in what a, um, a questionably ethical president uh, might do uh, to cleanse the country of. Uh, of certain uh, elements of society that he that he may not uh,
0: uh, agree with. Okay, keep a straight yeah. face while I say this. Um, thank goodness we don't have a president like that. <laughs>
1: well, I I have no comment. I I, I don't. I, <laughs> none of the things. None of the things. Uh, the book is fictional. The book the book was written in 2016. So our current president had not done anything other than talk at the time I was writing that book. What I was doing was saying if you convert words into actions, what does that look like? Now, I have to tell you, Simon, when you, you kind of kibitzed about this, um, and rightfully so, a lot of what I wrote um, in 2016 has come true. Not all, but uh, quite a bit of what is predicted in the book if someone who feels that way is elected has come to pass the difference is and the important and it's very important for the people to know this there are three branches of government in this country and two of them act as checks and balances on the third so a lot of what uh, a president might want to do can't get done because the judiciary and the legislative branch are checking him. And quite a bit of what might have happened consistent with betrayal of justice has thankfully not happened. But as a Jewish guy, I, I, I just keep thinking I have I have Russian grandparents and great-grandparents on one side, and Polish grandparents and great-grandparents on the other. Can you imagine if the Russians trying to escape the pogroms or the Poles trying to escape the Nazis came to this country and ran into what Latin American people are facing at the southern border? Yes. It breaks, um, it, it breaks my heart. I, it just breaks my heart. I can't understand how this country um, behaves like that. In fact, I'm writing. am right. actually writing a a new book uh, related to this issue uh, that I'm working on now. Um, uh, there are three books published. Uh, um, the, the third book, by the way, is Betrayal of Blue, Betrayal in Blue, excuse me, which follows up the white supremacy narrative that is started in uh, Betrayal of Justice. Um, one of the constituents that support the president's bigoted rhetoric in uh, the novel. Um, is white supremacist And The Trail in Blue essentially is a revenge novel where um, the bad guy in Justice, um, a, a, a buddy of his in the white supremacist movement tries to get revenge on those people who brought down the white supremacists in the previous book. Um, I'm work, I am I finished uh, one, two, three more books, uh, and I'm working on a seventh. Uh, the, the three that I just spoke of have not been published yet. Um, but this new book I'm working on is essentially telling the story of uh, – uh That we were just discussing how immigrants are treated um, at the border uh, and, and some other uh, uh, some other um immigrant issues that are troubling me i tend to I tend to write about things that occur in the news that to use my previous phrase piss me off and
0: um
1: <laughs> uh that's what that's what all of my books uh, are about we'll we'll just, as the as the uh the shows go on and i release uh the books that i just completed uh we'll be discussing these other issues that i think are extremely important in uh today's society
0: okay but that's um... uh, that's where we're at today Okay, You can get them on Amazon or at my website. All right. Let's um, move on. Um, okay. By the way, uh, Mark, I have extended the program 30 minutes because I okay. know we're nowhere close to being done. Um, <laughs> vaping. That there's been some really ugly uh, news stories, um, people dying or almost dying. Um, the stories what? I've heard um, mostly involve uh, marijuana, uh, her flavoring. Um, I have never vaped. I uh, really oh, don't plan on starting. Didn't I didn't understand what you uh, said. Apparently there's some, uh, uh, something in the, uh, marijuana flavor. It, it's, it, it sounds harmless enough. It, it's some sort of, uh, vitamin. But, um, what, what happens is it, uh, liquefies and uh, then uh it gets in the lungs and uh, uh solidifies and bad things are going on so do, do you think that um vaping is the is the next opioid type um crisis and How the hell do we stop it?
1: Well, um, first of all, I when you first raised the topic, I didn't understand what you said. So, so, b a p i n g, b a p i n g. Okay. Yep. All right. (laughs) Now, now, there's two, there's two issues there. Um, There's a lot more than two, but, but, uh, we need to make an important distinction. Number one, people out there, despite known health risks, still smoke cigarettes. Agreed? Oh, yes. <laughs> still still smoke cigars, still smoke pipes, still smoke marijuana, still smoke. We agree. Yep. Um, there are people out there who are adults. And if they want to choose to kill themselves using the product, I suppose, whether I agree with it or not, I suppose they have a right to do that. Okay? Yeah. Now, now that, that, may, that may sound strange coming from me, but I'm a personal freedoms kind of guy. Uh, I believe people should be able to do what they want. Here's the problem. Uh, and it's a problem I have with cigarettes. It's the problem I have with vaping. And that's cigarettes and vape, let's call them machines, uh, uh, delivery systems, if you will. If, if we're talking about tobacco, uh, I haven't heard... And I'm going to ignore, sorry, <laughs> what you said about marijuana because I'm not, I'm not familiar with the issue. If you are, please tell the people what you know, but I, but I candidly don't know about the marijuana issue. But here's what I do know. Tobacco has nicotine in it. Nicotine is an addictive substance. So if you start smoking tobacco, you're going to get addicted to it. And you aren't going to be able to quit. And the tobacco litigation of years ago, prior to the awareness that the public has or had or or was given about the dangers of tobacco and the fact that uh, tar and nicotine cause cancer, uh, maybe not nicotine, but tar for sure, the, The ingredients of a cigarette, the ingredients of a tobacco product cause dangerous diseases, COPD, chronic lung problems, cancer, uh, um, different kinds of cancer, by the way, uh, all kinds of bad health effects. Now, the other thing about cigarettes, uh, I don't know about vapes, but cigarettes for sure, is you have a health problem to innocent people known as secondhand smoke. So now, in addition to people deciding to kill themselves, they're killing others who don't smoke at all. So a lot of the regulation about cigarette smoking was based on, and this is the important thing about vape, was based on The tobacco companies, not telling the truth, producing marketing that made cigarettes look attractive, made you look like a man, um, made kids take up smoking, did, did bad things in their promotional materials get people to smoke and in addition to that they hid the dangers and that's why the tobacco industry got slammed in litigation in the 80s and 90s now these days a person's uh, knowledge of the dangers of tobacco Essentially, prevent them. Even with the addictive, uh, the seriously addictive nature of nicotine or elements of nicotine, uh, a person typically won't be able to be successful in a in a uh, suit brought if you started smoking. Let's say in the 21st century or the, or the late 20th century, you would you would have had to have started smoking before warnings Um, and that's essentially the cutoff point now with vaping here's my big problem adults as you described um adults know better know if a a drug has nicotine they're going to get addicted um And they make a conscious choice to do something uh, despite known dangers. Now, some of the literature might be suggesting to them that vaping is less harmful or less dangerous than smoking a cigarette. I don't know much about what the vaping industry is how the vaping industry is marketing this to adults. But here's my big vaping issue. Last week, and and, and the reason I know this, by the way, is I'm a Michigan lawyer, and uh, the hero of the vaping controversy right now happens to be the governor of Michigan. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but... The governor of Michigan just banned, flat out banned, flavored nicotine taping products. Now, why do I say flavored
0: nicotine?
1: Now, why do I say flavored yes,
0: nicotine? Yes, I, I read that products? this morning, actually.
1: <laughs> okay. Now, the chief
0: medical executive
1: in the Michigan government made a finding that youth vaping, youth, Y-O-U-T-H, kids, constitutes a public health emergency. And after he issued that finding, she immediately ordered the Department of Health and Human Services to ban the sale of flavored nicotine vaping products. In addition to that, she banned the marketing of those products and she banned the terms that are used to market those products.
0: Guess what those terms are? I have no idea. Clean, safe, and healthy. <laughs>
1: the, the vaping industry is marketing... These products as clean, safe, and healthy, and perpetuating the belief that these products are harmless. Now, in addition to that, she banned billboards that market those things, and uh, essentially, what she's saying is that it, if if you're Uh, a government official, one of your biggest priorities is safety. And if you're a mother, and she is, one of your biggest responsibilities is child safety. And companies who sell these products using candy flavors, candy flavors, bubblegum, (laughs) <laughs> and hook children on nicotine with the misleading claim that they're safe, quote unquote. That's terrible. Uh, you know, we talked about executives going to prison. Yep. Addicting kids, addicting kids uh, with candy-flavored nicotine products is as bad as you get, in my opinion.
0: (laughs) Um, Now,
1: now, I've got some statistics for you. 2017 to 2018, among high school students, 78% increase in e-cigarette use in the years 2017 and 18. But as shocking as that is, listen to this one, a 48% increase in e-cigarette use among middle school students. There There are flavors, apple juice, bubble gum, nerds, American children as young as second grade have tried baking products. Now, this is, this is now, this is becoming a national thing. Uh, uh, Gretchen Whitmer, the governor of Michigan, uh, by the way, her and I are, are, are not buddies. I'm kind of mad at her because of what she did to Michigan's no-fault law uh, in the automobile I think we discussed this on our first uh, podcast but uh, she passed legislation that that essentially took away lifetime medical benefits for people who are catastrophically hurt in, in auto accidents in Michigan. We were the only state in the country that had um, full medical for accident victims, auto accident victims, and, uh, this, gets, this gets us back to what money can buy. The system now that, that she changed it to is if you could afford the better product, you can buy it. If you can't afford the better product, you can buy something less. Well, if you're somebody that uh, – you know, what, what that does is it creates a uh, poverty class of people who are not healthy – because they can't afford full benefits like wealthy people get, so I, I hate what she did and I'm pissed to sell at her, but she got this right and completely right um, a Democrat in Massachusetts i don't I don't quite agree with this but she wants to add a seventy five cent um, i guess an excise tax to the wholesale price of the um, of vape products. Um, Now, Massachusetts is investigating Jewel Labs, and for those of you who aren't familiar with who Jewel Labs are, that's spelled J-U space U-L. They're the leading manufacturer of of, um, vape delivery systems, and uh, they're being investigated for their marketing strategies directed Young people. Um, I don't like the tax because that gets us back to the kinds of things we discussed earlier. If you're wealthy, if you're making a ton of money, then all you're doing by adding a $0.75 tax is costing citizens more money to buy these products, which which may minimize their use a little bit. But it's a penalty to those who buy it rather than a penalty to those who sell it. And I'd rather see bans and prosecutions and lawsuits uh, slamming these people rather than taxing these people. Um, do, what do you think, Simon?
0: Do, do you. Actually, uh, I'm in agreement with you, but. I'm going to uh, ask a question. Um, Do you see um, the vaping world? Uh, Juul is definitely the uh, biggest one, but there are uh, several others. Do you see this as the next big tobacco? You know, (laughs) someone's going to come down with a big hammer and... uh, take a lot of money out of their coffers. Well,
1: yes and no. The the yes part is I think this is a dangerous product. I think it's an addictive product. I think when you're talking about kids and marketing to kids, someone's going to pay dearly for doing that if they don't stop. The difference between vaping and tobacco, if you think about it, is uh, to watch a western on TV. What What are the guys doing when they approach the bar besides drinking? They're smoking a cigarette.
0: Smoking.
1: And they were smoking in the middle eighties. And right. from the middle eighties and even earlier. Uh, think about Think about um, Think about uh, again. I'm gonna I'm gonna joke about the movies, but think about um, the first settlers and negotiations with the Indians. Uh, now now the Native Americans. Um, what did they do? They smoked the peace pipe. People have been smoking since the 1600s in America. Right. In the 1900s, 300 years later, in the 1900s, we finally got around to regulating it, right?
0: Sort of, yeah.
1: Okay, so vaping is new, and they're issuing legal challenges to it right now, this quickly, within 10 years of its introduction into the American economy. Not that, not that, a, not that a, an electronic um, nicotine delivery system didn't exist before it became known as a vape. But over the last 10 years, that product has become popular. So we've got a much bigger jump on vaping than we ever did on tobacco. So I don't, I don't see it becoming uh, the tobacco situation. What I do see it becoming, to your very, very first question when you introduce this topic, is I do see it potentially being consistent with what's going on in the opioid uh, crisis right now. I think uh, attorneys general are going to uh, pursue these companies um, for huge damage and penalty awards and hopefully put these guys out of business.
0: Um, Let me uh, tell you a story. I smoked for, uh, 40 years, and I'd say for, uh, oh, at least 35 of them, I really enjoyed my cigarettes. Um, I was quite the connoisseur uh, uh, until I came to America and, uh, and discovered that, uh, You know, the only cigarettes were uh, uh, American cigarettes. Um, You know, I I, I really enjoyed smoking. Uh, And about, I don't know, three, four years ago, I started to wake up in the middle of the night unable to breathe. And I went, I know what, is what the this is. All right? I, I don't need to go to the doctor. This is smoking. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I did quit cold turkey. <laughs> I didn't need any drugs or, uh, you know, help. Um, basically, it was screwing up my life. And so, you know, uh, anyone that's listening that smokes, don't do it. it. It might not. It might take a couple of decades, but it will get you. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Back to you. Uh,
1: uh, I'm proud of you, man. <laughs> it took forty years. It took forty years, but you quit. So. Uh, and you quit cold <laughs> turkey. Uh, that's a, that's impressive. So I'm proud of you.
0: You're who was cold turkey because I couldn't breathe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, you, uh, you, you know, know,
1: look at look at. Uh, <laughs> I have seen people. I'm sure you've seen this too. People who've had their voice box cut out. And they have a hole in their throat that where they talk through a machine, and they stick a cigarette in the in the hole and smoke through the. Um, what do you call those things? Uh, those uh, voice box machines. I've seen people stick cigarettes. I've seen people stick cigarettes into their voice boxes. They've oh, lost their the throat. Po- They've lost oh, their ability God. to talk. They talk through. They talk through a machine. They sound like a robot, and they're smoking <laughs> in the hole that is created by the voice pipe. <laughs> so nicotine is a very, very powerful drug, and
0: oh yes, it is. Your
1: ability, your your ability to quit, uh, cold turkey, as we just, as we said. Uh, is not the typical person's experience. Most people who try to do it have very significant difficulty doing so. So you did you did a you did a good thing for yourself. You did a good thing for those around you. Um, and I'm proud of you.
0: <laughs> okay. Um. <laughs> oh, let's move on. That there is. At least one more uh, topic I want to touch on, gerrymandering. Um, I hate gerrymandering.
1: You've got got the right guy. I hate hate gerrymandering.
0: (laughs) Yes. I I think think anyone with uh, two brain cells working goes, this isn't right. I mean um Silent.
1: Silent. Two, question two, I have a question two
0: thousand ten. Um
1: before 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 you talk, I, I have a question for you. Sure
0: Your accent gives away
1: your your accent gives away and you just said that you came to America from elsewhere. Uh I presume you came to America from Great Britain, right?
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: Okay. And um, we both know we both know that the American system of government is patterned, not, not exactly the same, but patterned after the British um, political well, system. Well, kind government of Okay. <laughs> does, does,
0: the,
1: does the British system permit gerrymandering? Is that something that's done in Britain?
0: No, absolutely okay. not. Okay, good. Um, I
1: I, I was just curious.
0: Go
1: go ahead and tell the people (laughs) what gerrymandering is.
0: Okay. (laughs) Gerrymandering is a a delightful topic. Um, Essentially, what you want to do is uh, generate the uh, greatest amounts of votes in any given district um, you can gerrymander on um uh, whether it's republican or um, or not um, you can gerrymander on race um
1: uh, but you're not describing oh. what gerrymandering is.
0: No. The the idea is that, that you draw a district in such a fashion that um, you get the maximum number of, of people that um, fit either your uh, uh, racial... Politically leaning profile is so you you can gerrymander to be liberal, you can gerrymander to be uh, white, black, or um,
1: Republican. Red, blue. Now in
0: Democratic. 2010, when the uh, last. Uh, census was taken. Um, the uh, Republicans won big at, in the uh, at, at the state level, and um, they basically gerrymandered um, all of all, all of the uh, areas that they could. Um,
1: Pretty much since
0: two thousand. Since Bush won in two uh Republicans. Um twenty twenty we're, we're gonna see another uh <coughs> census. <coughs> and whoever wins twenty twenty um wins the census and uh gerrymandering continues. The uh, uh, Supreme Court uh, is avoiding this issue like a, a bad dose of um, oh, I don't know uh, what um, uh, an STD. Um, oh, okay. Um, did did did, did I do a really bad job on describing that, Mark? <laughs> you, did, you
1: did okay, but let me help you a little bit. Because it's a big issue in Michigan. And I'm going to illustrate this a little better for the people. Uh, you did a good job, though. First of all, as Simon said, only he didn't make it extremely clear, gerrymandering is a closed-door process by politicians or government officials, not the public, not voters, politicians or government officials, the closed-door process of drawing maps to assure a majority for whoever it is in government that's drawing the map. Okay, so as Simon pointed out, if it's a Republican government, then they're going to draw the maps to favor government uh, uh, Republicans. If it's a Democratic uh, administration, then they're going to draw the maps to favor Democrats. Now, in Michigan, there's a referendum on the ballot to limit this process and allow and this is why I, I, I kind of like this topic because right now a big topic in Michigan we have a uh, we spoke about Governor Whitmer earlier and and her vaping stance uh, Governor Whitmer happens to be a Democrat and she replaced a two-term Republican who by the way happens to be Responsible for the Flint water crisis. Talk about government officials or. um, Executives who should be in jail. Um, He actually. Deliberately. To save money. Poisoned the people of Flint. And. uh, I encourage everybody to check out Michael Moore's movie about about that issue. It's it's terrific. I mean, he's, he's certainly someone who's at a lightning rod for, um, uh, political criticism. He's, uh, a left wing kind of guy, but truth is truth. And that's what this Republican governor did. um, but in Michigan, the Democrats are screaming right now because in the last three elections, and I, I just did a little research while you were giving your gerrymandering speech, Republicans have won 54% of Senate seats and 57% of state House seats, despite the fact that by popular vote in Michigan, they're the minority party. And a lawsuit was filed by Democrats, and this is something I know a little bit about, that made public some emails that Republicans were sending back and forth to each other, and they freely admitted to a process of drawing maps that ensured a Republican majority for many elections to come. And one Republican said, and I quote, it makes it easier to cram all of the Democratic garbage unquote in the four largest Detroit area counties. That's uh, Wayne, Oakland, Macomb, (laughs) and Washtenaw. Essentially the essentially the Detroit area, into four districts. Now think about that. The majority of Detroit's, uh, the majority of Michigan voters are in southeastern lower Michigan, the Detroit metropolitan area. Uh, Washington is Ann Arbor. Wayne is Detroit. Oakland is um, all of the Detroit suburbs. And Macomb is all of the eastern, western Detroit suburbs, and all of, and, and, um, north, I, I'm gonna say it again. Oakland is all of the northwestern Detroit suburbs. Macomb is all of the northeastern Detroit suburbs. But all of that is essentially what I would call the Detroit metropolitan area. Washtenaw, so you know, is Ann Arbor. Um, So if you cram, as as the Republican official proudly said, if you cram all of those voters into four districts, then you basically marginalize the Democratic vote in Detroit. And if you're a Republican and Detroit voters are limited in their power, Uh, that's that's very good news for you. So to sum this up, if you want my opinion, whether I'm a Republican or whether I'm a Democrat, and I think the people can probably guess where I stand politically, but but putting that aside for a second, gerrymandering as a process is profoundly unfair. And... I don't like it, not so much because of sour grapes that Republicans have been in power for the last 20 years in Michigan. There's a bit of sour grapes there, I'll admit that. But I don't like it because it limits the power of the voters. Voters essentially the majority, by the way, because again, I'll say it again, the majority of Michigan voters are Democratic. So what it essentially does is it says to the majority of voters, Hey guys, you have virtually no chance to have your views or beliefs represented represented in the state legislature or the United States Congress. Because keep in mind, those state-drawn voter districts are also used for federal congressional seats. So your congressman is voted based on your state legislature's gerrymandering of of a particular district. In my mind, that contributes to voter apathy probably creates uh, young voters who think that their votes are meaningless and creates a situation where people are much less likely to vote and where candidates, think about this one, really good candidates won't run for office in the district in which they live because they don't think they can win. The system is rigged against them now there's a michigan plan out there that offers some sensible solutions as i understand it i don't know the specifics of the plan so i can't discuss it here today but apparently that's going to be put to the voters and i suggest to the voters in michigan or anywhere else where gerrymandering is an issue if you feel disempowered by gerrymandering. If you don't think your vote means anything, or you think money has more influence than your vote, then you ought to be fighting these gerrymandering these gerrymandered districts, these uh private room deals being worked out behind your back. And
0: okay, you I, I have to, I, these anti gerrymandering laws. Uh, I have to ask power you Power to the a people, question. Simon. Power to the people. <laughs> yeah, power yeah. to the people. <laughs> All right. Yes, I'm I'm I am i am i am in absolutely absolute agreement with you. Um my my question uh is beyond your pay grade and it's certainly way beyond my pay grade, um, why has the Supreme Court uh, effectively turned their nose up at the idea of uh, doing anything about gerrymandering? Uh, I, I know one case was race. And the other was uh you know political uh uh leanings that there has to be a reason. Tell me the reason
1: well, there's two reasons um, one is what is legal and the other is political unfortunately the legal reason is. That if you interpret the Constitution uh, conservatively and the Constitution allows gerrymandering and the system the gerrymandering system meets constitutional standards there's some question about that but let's just Uh, For lack of of, uh, another way to say it, let's assume that certain levels of gerrymandering are legal and abuses of gerrymandering are not. I mean, let's suppose that uh, that you're trying to reverse uh, by gerrymandering a terrible injustice being done to the voters in a particular place. Um, uh, all Blacks are lumped into a district, a uh, single district, and they never have any any voting power at all in their state. So you, so somebody gets a hold of that and gerrymanders the district into three or four or five districts, and suddenly uh, those minorities, uh, whatever, you know, I said Black, but whatever minority it is, suddenly they have more power. That would be what I would call good gerrymandering. Um, um, an oppressed minority being screwed is a good reason to uh, change the district map. So I'm, I'm, I'm not—I I certainly wouldn't suggest that gerrymandering be outlawed. Um, The political aspect of this, though, is that right now the Republicans are in power. Um, The cases that were brought before the Supreme Court, one was in Maryland, and the other was, I don't remember, but it was in a um, Republican district. I want to say Virginia or North Carolina. I think maybe North Carolina. Uh, and they were completely the opposite situations, and the Supreme Court, which is which now looms conservative, uh, basically took a hands-off approach, and they said, "What's being done here is not blatantly unconstitutional, and therefore we're not going to get involved." Now the minority said, uh, and we know who the minority is. Um, they argued that voting rights are being suppressed. One, one man, one vote is being denied. That's a constitutional violation. And these cases, both of them, the Democratic one and the republican one should be overturned and the majority said no so i would argue that the issue isn't a legal issue because i believe both of those situations were improper but the political makeup grabbed a hold of the issue and the american citizen as usual that's screwed, and the voters, um, the voters, as as with a lot of issues related to politics, don't understand how badly they're being treated by the people that they're actually voting for. Uh, in our first in our first meeting together, we discussed tort reform which is an issue I want to revisit sometime in the future. But people don't know because they haven't gotten hurt yet that who they vote for is directly dependent dependent on how will they do in court because those judges are appointed by those people they're voting for. Or they elect people because their incumbents, not realizing that those judges rule for corporations over citizens 99% of the time. So one of the things I want this show to do is educate people and get them to make more sensible decisions and more sensible choices so that they protect their rights.
0: All right. We still have some time left. Uh, just because, well, I love to talk to you. Um, what is tort reform? What, what, what are you trying to do?
1: Well, tort reform is not. You know, when you hear reform, you say to yourself, "Oh, they're making something better." No, <laughs> no, they're not. Uh, in, in fact, we in in the Uh, Attorney, the trial attorney business, call it tort reform. Essentially, what tort reform is, uh, is the restriction on a person's right to go to court on a particular issue. And I'll give you a great example. In the early 2000s, George. W. Bush passed a law that prevents people from suing gun manufacturers for the results of the sale of weapons. So if a person who shouldn't get a weapon gets one and kills someone, the gun manufacturer is not liable because of this act. How did that happen? The NRA lobbied George W. Bush to pass this legislation. That's a that's a good example of what I'm talking about. Not only can't you get uh, 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 some of the, some of the tort reform measures restrict the amount of money you can get. This one's worse. It prevents you from even getting into court. you file the lawsuit, the defense gets the case, they file a motion to dismiss and the judge dismisses it under this law. There has to be what we call gross negligence and I don't we can discuss the particulars of this law I can research it. I don't know it uh, off the top of my head to discuss it here tonight, but I'm pretty sure that it's got a gross negligence requirement. So if you can prove really, really serious deliberate conduct, you can uh, – in fact, I'm writing a book about it One of the books I mentioned is a book on this very topic, uh, so watch for that. But, but this law prevents access to court, period. Other laws um, prevent – the amount of money you can receive. The best example of that is hospital and uh, medical liability under malpractice laws. Over many, many years, the doctors and the hospitals have been successful lobbying primarily Republican governments in most states to restrict how much money a person can receive in a medical or hospital liability case. Um, I mentioned guns, but if you take products in general, uh, the opioid crisis, bad drugs, um, bad products, uh, bad food, um, things that harm people, and harm people permanently, let's say, or kill people. Those people who sue, their loved ones who sue on behalf of a dead father, brother, sister, son, can only collect pennies on the dollar because of these draconian tort reform laws. And if you ask the average citizen how they feel about this, they'll tell you they don't know. They didn't know. Or, and, and I have to tell you that the corporations have done a marvelous job of snowing the public. Oh, yes. But they'll tell you, they'll tell you that the trial lawyers are the bad guys, they sue too often. Everybody's suing everybody. That should stop. Now, I have, to t- I have to tell you that, quote, everybody sues everybody happens much more in the business world than it does in the personal injury world. Citizens don't sue people or companies half as much as corporations sue each other. For and the rough. best the best exa- the best example of what I'm talking about is guess who that person is, Simon?
0: Uh <laughs> oh, don't know. He's
1: a he's a billionaire
0: real estate developer.
1: Uh has properties oh. in Florida and
0: <laughs> not, not not our friend Mr. Trumpy. How many how many businesses
1: does he have? How many times has he gone bankrupt? How many people have sued him? How often has he sued them? He's the, he's uh-huh. the king of He's the king
0: of lawsuits. Yes, he he's is. He's the king. He's the there king of are, lawsuits. There are there are two really great uh, movies. Uh, um, if you haven't seen them. Uh, I really recommend them. One's called "I've Been Trumped," and uh, I've forgotten the name of the other one. But if you can find "I've Been Trumped," um, you'll you'll certainly find a link to the other one. <laughs> You know, I want to. I want to go. I to kind of go on record. I,
1: I don't. I, okay. I, this is not. This is not a forum to bash Trump. I, that's not the purpose of my podcast. But if if he's involved in something that I think is unfair, I'm going to point it out. And and what's unfair is to say that citizens don't have a right to sue and collect damages for their injuries, but corporations and corporate executives have the right to sue anybody and collect as much as they want and that's what I'm really right. against
0: yep I'm in total agreement with you okay, okay. Mark I, I think um, I think it's probably time to uh, close this down um, yeah, I'm really tired
1: I, I'm used to an hour man you can't do this to me
0: <laughs> <laughs> You're feeling marginally beaten up. Um, I'm telling you, I gotta, I gotta get go Mar- a drink. <laughs> I'm. Oh, you don't, you don't keep your beer outside.
1: No, 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 no. I, don't, I
0: actually don't drink. If I
1: if I say I have oh. to get a drink, it's probably water. <laughs>
0: okay, well. Uh, I'll give you uh, the last word. Give, give us your um, thoughts on uh, on this program, and we'll be back again next week. Same bat channel, same bat time.
1: Um, next week, next week. I'm going to try to get a guest together. Um, I have some. Guys in mind, I'm, I'm going to try to get somebody to discuss uh, the crisis in the Catholic Church and betrayal of faith. If I if I can't do that, we'll we'll uh, we'll find something.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> the good news is it, it doesn't matter. Um, we'll. Uh, We'll find something to talk about. Actually, I'll tell you what we can talk about. There's this huge, and I do mean huge, stick insect on my uh, keyboard. <laughs> I, I know it's alive because it moves. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um oh. the, law, the law is a subject that is forever evolving. I mean, look what we talked about today. All of these issues, almost every one of them, we talked about because they're in the news today. So uh, I'm going to presume that we're going to get some uh, issues arising this week next weekend uh, we'll have lots to talk about by the way uh, one thing we'll have to talk about is um, the actual sentence that Felicity Huffman got because she's getting sentenced on Friday so
0: oh, there's something yeah.
1: we can revisit alright
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm going to sleep <laughs> they right that there is always some follow on from one of our uh, programs mark this, this has Sunday. been this has been splendid um uh, like i said let's talk uh, next week i'll um uh, uh, i'll i'll contact you uh, Maybe tomorrow or the next day, and uh, we can talk strategy. Till then, this is Simon Barrett wishing everyone a happy, healthy, and safe week. Till next time, goodbye.